Hello, welcome to the first ever bonus episode of the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ojano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. And this is a quick reminder that the Patreon page is up and running. And this bonus episode will be there. And future bonus episodes will be there in full. So along with many other wonderful things to come. So yeah, be sure to check the Patreon page of this podcast. So... I am so excited to do this episode because when I was thinking of the first bonus episode, I was thinking of reviewing a film. But instead, what we're going to do here is I am going to have a conversation with the filmmaker of the film we're going to talk about. So that's what's up. So for this episode, we are going to talk about the film Cleaners from the Philippines. It is a coming-of-age story, drama comedy, about high school students set in a Catholic school in Northern Philippines. So for a quick background of the film, the film premiered at the 2019 Q Cinema International Film Festival where it won Best Picture, Best Screenplay, and Audience Choice Award. It also won at the 30th Annual Citations of the Young Critics Circle Film Desk Best First Feature and Best Sound and Oral Orchestration, and nominated for Best Screenplay, Cinematography, and Visual Design and Editing. At the 43rd Gawadorian Awards that will be held on November 10, uh, Cleaners is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Production Design, Best Music, and Best Sound. The film also screened at the 25th Busan International Film Festival at the A Window on Asian Cinema section. The film will also be screening at the 57th Taipei Golden Horse Film Festival at the Windows on Asia section on November 5 to 22. And the film is an official selection at the 2020 Pista ng Pilipino at the official premium film showcase this November. So joining us is the writer, director, and composer of the film Cleaners, Please welcome Mr. Glenn Barrett. Hi! Hello, Carlos. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yes, thank you so much for saying yes to do it. It was a short notice. And this was from a very quick Twitter conversation. And that, let's do this. Uh, uh, how, how have you been? I've been okay. I'm surviving from this pandemic. Hanging there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah. I think um, that's the best thing that Filipinos could say right now. Is, um, I'm still here. I'm surviving, hanging in there. So, um, yeah, can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work? Uh, I have a new website. It's glenbarit.wordpress.com. So, all information about me is in there, including links to my social media accounts Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There. And my portfolio is also there. There you go. And um, before we start discussing uh, this film, full disclosure um, for our listeners, um, I, I'm actually a, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of shy. I'm, I'm I'm shy to say this, but I am part of the film. I did the subtitles, 
but I only saw the final, the finished version of the film yesterday as of the time of recording because when I did the subtitles, it was not yet in the, in the final version of it. So it was, it was a totally different experience for me. Um, before we get started, I want to ask you, what's the, what, what are you watching this pandemic? Because I think, uh, I want to know what, uh, what filmmakers are currently watching now. I mean, I know filmmakers are posting what they're, um, watching online. How about you? What are you watching? Watching a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm binge watching Survivor. Do you know Survivor? Yes. It's a very timely, <laughs> very timely show. Yes. I've watched like I don't know, 13 seasons of Survivor and I've also... Since the pandemic? Yes, since the lockdown happened. Yes, and this is also the year, this is my record year for most films watched. Uh, nothing compared to you, just I don't know, 152 films. <laughs> compared to your 2000 a oh my year. gosh 2000 a year how many how many films a day <laughs> no I'm but I, yeah I, I I think I'm also doing a bit well with the films that I'm watching this year I think I don't know if uh how many have I watched this year already I should I should check my letterbox but anyway um yeah it is so interesting that you're watching um Survivor now because I think um a lot of people are watching different things during this pandemic just to cope. Um, before we delve with discussing the film, um, oh, as uh, as I see here in my letterbox, I have watched uh, 274 <laughs> as of the time of recording. <laughs> so, but most of this is because of the podcast. So it's not really my choice. <laughs> um, is watching Survivor was it a conscious was it a conscious choice that you watched during this pandemic or was it something that just went uh, by and like oh this is interesting or is it really brought by the pandemic as well? No, before before the pandemic happened, our friends, me and our friends, Carlo, Chejoan, since we live nearby, we used to watch Survivor every week. So when the pandemic happened, we all went to our separate homes and we watched it separately. So there, I got addicted watching it eventually and I binge watch all the previous seasons. Yeah, that's, that sounds fun. I mean, I've only seen the, the Philippines version of Survivor, which is decades ago. Um, yeah, so before... Uh, before we talk about your film, I am gonna ask uh, you to introduce the film because on what is it about? Because I think I've I cannot I cannot uh, claim originality of this idea, but I have heard one discussion where the moderator asked the filmmakers to introduce their films because it gives the audience an idea of what you were thinking about your film. So, uh, what is your film about? So, our film, uh, just for context, here in the Philippines, uh, for grade school and high school, we have cleaners. As, uh, the cleaners are the ones who clean the classroom. 
after after a school day. So they are tasked to clean the room uh, or they are grouped together or the, the class is divided into, into groups and the groups are tasked or each group is tasked a specific day of the week and they are to do the cleaning and uh, getting the room orderly and tidy for the next school day. Basically, that's what cleaners are. And, and so this film is uh, an anthology about a group of cleaners. So in that cleaners group, there are four different stories that, are, that revolves around the theme of being clean, being pure, being orderly. As, uh, as dictated by the society or the people around them and how they break from those uh, pressures and standards. I yeah, that's uh, how I I'm interested because <laughs> you said that your the, the, like the, the central theme of your film is how you discuss cleanliness in the different stories that you had and um, I think we're discussing about uh, this is your feature film debut, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's always interesting to look at the filmmakers like first feature because I don't know it's the probably the a very personal one. And in your case, why why was this the story to tell as your feature film debut? Uh, I think like most directors, they start with uh, coming-of-age films because it is their, like they have a treasure chest of, of scenes, of memories that they can pull out into a film. So those are easily accessible. So Greta Gerwig, for example, has Lady, Be Lady Bird, uh, Richard Linklater has Days and Confused. So a lot of filmmakers start with coming-of-age films, and that's probably why I also did a coming-of-age films, a coming-of-age film, because that's what is very familiar to me and what I can easily do a much more nuanced film because of that accessibility. Yeah, and... Going with that coming of age thing, that is a very interesting observation because, um, yeah, there's something very personal and also nostalgic about uh, looking back at one's youth as one usually would. Um, I'm interested because there are four stories here. Um, there's a story of... Um, <laughs> I'm gonna bungle this. So the first story is about a uh, a girl who is so um, obsessed with cleanliness, but then I don't I don't think it's a spoiler, but she shits herself. And then the second um, story is about three boys that are into the the emo trend of the two thousands, and then the class president who is supposed to be like the fourth member because they are tasked to be part of a, a folk dance. And the third one is about an uncircumcised man who falls in love with a girl in her school that got pregnant. 
And the fourth one is about um, the son of the local politicians who is going to run for youth council in this place. Um, first of all, these are very specific stories. And this is this is in an anthology. Uh, how And for sure, there are many stories in your high school, um, whenever that was. So I would like to ask you, how did you choose the stories? Were they very anecdotal? And um, because I, I also noticed that even outside of the main characters, you also have some of the supporting characters have their own scenes. Uh, how did you choose the stories that you had in your life to make it in your film? Or was it even a conscious choice? So I started with a, since I already have a, a thematic, uh, like I, I have a theme, right? So from that theme, I, I thought of a narrative, narrative shape for it, or a thematic, uh, what do you call it, thematic art for everything. So I knew that I had to start from something personal and I have to make it larger and larger, like uh, from personal to until it becomes very societal cleanliness. So that's, that, so that's where I started. So I knew that from a very small personal to bigger. So from that shape or art, I thought that's when I picked up several things from my actual experiences. So for example, the most political one at the very end, uh, the most political I've been during those during that time is when I when I got involved with my classmate who's running also for an SK chairmanship. So that was I think the closest I can to being political. So that's where I put. So that's where I got that idea. And from there I I that's where I exploded the idea to make the the last uh, the last uh, segment of the film. And from the first one, from something personal like shitting. Uh, when I was in high school, I was I always shit in school. <laughs> <laughs> And in grade school, I also <laughs> I also peed myself in grade mm-hmm. school, so that is something very uh, very close to my heart. I doing dirty stuff in school. So that's where I got the idea for the first part, and and then I just filled in everything in the middle. Yeah. So I have a, a classmate that is who is emo, who's very emo. And I have a classmate also that is rumored to have, to have lost her virginity in a Chinese cemetery, <laughs> like that. So that's where the third came in, second segment came in. Yeah. So all of all of it are very personal, but also like what you said, anecdotal also, because it's not really very like true to life but only pattern from what uh, happened ah, yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that is so interesting. And first of all, a lot of things that you just said are news to me, like what happened in grade school and high school. <laughs> um, shitting. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to follow up on that because you said that the first story, which is about the, the shitting, and the fourth story is about the 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 boy running for youth council. Those are like direct experiences from you, but uh, the third, the second, and the third, which is about the emo uh, folk dancers and um, the the girl who lost her virginity in the Chinese cemetery and got pregnant, those were rumors or like were, were observations. How did you then uh, trickle it down to very specific moments so that? Because I, I feel like when I was watching it, it almost feels like they're very specific. And now hearing your basis on the second and the third story, I'm interested in your process of like finding the details in those stories that are from rumors or are from observations that you had or not your own stories. So there's this uh, saying that the more specific you are, the more it gets universal. So that is something I always thought about when I'm, I was writing. So when I make it more specific, it becomes more nuanced, more closer to life, closer to truth. So there. So, uh, so most of it came from memory. So most also is... Uh, I've also done my part in researching some of the stuff there. So, for example, for the youth council student, uh, when I was writing, I also consulted with uh, the my classmate before who ran for the youth council. So that's where I got the nitty-gritty details of how dirty it could be. So he related how their mayor was the man who was really managing all of... Because their mayor, uh, their SK president is the daughter of the mayor. So the mayor was the one who was uh, manipulating the, the votes, getting vote buyers, like that. And also for the other specific things... Uh, for example, for the emo students, uh, most of it are from like memory, like the details are what I remember from that time, like what they're listening, like uh, Black Parade, for example, typecast. Those are very specific details to that time that I think enriches the the truth of the scenes and makes it more relatable yeah that is what i really cherish about this film i mean um we're gonna talk about the technical feat that this film achieved but for me it's on how you got those very specific moments um uh you know i was on the other side of like a classmate shitting <laughs> so i was like ah, ha, ha, ha. and then <laughs> 
uh, on the second story, I was a class president twice in high school. So I really had those moments like, I deserve to be respected. <laughs> so like, and, then, um, and, you know, we also had the emo face. I mean, I, I had classmates who were like full on bangs, um, cutting themselves and like really emo. And then in the third story. And I just had. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, like uh, the high, the Filipino high school experience is also very. There's a lot of similarities, whichever high school you, to come from, so we always have a strict class president. We have a, uh, fat <laughs> queer classmate. We have a, uh, bitchy classmate. We have a over talkative classmate. So that that's our stereotypes. I think we don't have jocks. We don't have. Uh, nerdy nerds but that is our I think stereotypes that we can actually play on our films speaking about it I think I'm all of those <laughs> combined um, the bitchy uh, <laughs> strict class president <laughs> but um, yeah and going to the, the rumors I think especially in Catholic schools because I was also from a Catholic school rumors of like people losing their virginity are so strong like oh they did that oh my gosh and then i I, i've heard rumors of like students expelled because i think um sex stories were like pregnant as well um and with the fourth story um there's nothing really to relate but (laughs) personally but um to our listeners uh from other countries from not not from the philippines um the culture of the philippines is that we're so um strongly connected in terms of family and that is unfortunately so reflected in the politics because here in the Philippines, political dynasties are a big thing. Um, you see generations of families um, presiding over one city, uncontested. And the, mechan- the, me- the mechanisms are there to keep them in power. Um, yeah, so I've had a lot of things to, you know, ju- just get into the details of it. <laughs> Remember what I remember what Sir Campos said during one of his class. Sir Patrick Campos, one of our film film school professors, he said that here in the Philippines, uh, we all think I we all think in terms of families and not in terms of nations, or, or we all think in terms of a family not in terms of a nation there so that's also asians <laughs> asians um uh, really but yeah um i do want to get back on that um the nature of the film that had it had different stories um was 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 it was this was this story always intended to be a feature film or was it like one story was for a short or or was it ever this way mm, actually it's a bit of both because uh i'm writing a short film before about a a child that cuts her act that cuts his penis or circumcises himself is one of the shorts I've been writing before and it 
it's a totally different film. Uh, it's about an uh, an old action film, a nineties action film, and that is so. I brought that into the film. So there, but also, Cleaners as a film started as already an anthology film when I was writing it. I I I just before I ask the follow up question, I just want to say that doing the subtitles for the for the third story was the hardest because there were a lot of mentions of te- um, the character, the main character being teased as uncircumcised. And it's hard to translate it because in other countries, it's, it's not, <laughs> you don't tease someone for being uncircumcised. Like it's, it's, it's the norm uh, for, uh, in many countries that people are uncircumcised. Uh, not that I've seen a lot, but um In film, in film, uh, in film. <laughs> I have to make that clear. In film, uh, in there is a possibility for other people to probably for other storytellers, for example, that they would do this like like in an interconnecting interconnecting storyline, like just one whole uh, and then like multiple storylines together, but. What you did is to isolate each story and give them their own time. Um, were there any uh, discussions? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, why was it important for you to maintain that separation between those stories? Uh, for me, I think there is no one definitive high school experience. So we all experience it very differently. So that's what I I thought I should uh, uh, incorporate in the film as well. So we have different stories that have different treatments and different uh, what do you call it different tones. So we have different tones for different segments of the film because uh, some of us experience the most vivid memories for us. During high school, for me, for example, it's my high school experience very surreal. Well, some maybe it's very romantic. Well, some maybe it's very depressing or whatever. So that that's what I think makes it also relatable because when I was uh, asking different people what's their favorite segment, they're all giving different answers. Uh, for different stories, so that's what that's I think uh, important for to make it very distinct in terms of tone and uh, treatment. Uh, the romantic in me would say my favorite is number three, but actually, in a more I think I'm just gonna be truthful to myself. I think it's for me it's number two, just because um I don't know I really just found myself in that class president. Um, And you know, I, I I burn a lot of CDs at the time, so also like, woo, um, I yeah yeah um I now I want to ask. Not only. You you mentioned a while ago that, um, that, you know the story must be as specific as it is so that it becomes more universal. Um, this is a very specific time and place, Catholic school. Northern Philippines and not just Northern Philippines, Tugigarao City, Cagayan, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. 
what is it with that time that you decided to locate those stories in that milieu? The simplest answer is that was the year I was in high school as well. <laughs> so there. So if it set in nine, 1997, I don't know what is happening during that time. If it set in somewhere in Cebu, I don't know what their uh, what their favorite things are there or what their, what places they go to. So that's I think. That's the simplest answer. It's it's the time that is, uh, it's the time and place that is most, uh, uh, that uh, it is my actual experience. Was there ever a tendency to bring it closer to present? Uh, never, because it's also a different time. I guess it's also it's just ten years ago, but it's already very different. Mm-hmm. We don't have as much social media then. We only have Friendster, and we don't really interact there as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So, as compared to now, that is really the landscape, the high school experience, the K twelve. It's all very different now. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to jump a bit ahead in terms of like logistics. How? How did you, in in terms of already filming, because two thousand seven two thousand eight is not so far, and yet it's already like thirteen twelve years ago. Um, how did you capture that um, to make sure that when when we when you film it, oh, it's the two thousand sevens, it's the two thousand eights, and it would not be mistaken for any other time. So you're right in saying that it's not too. Uh, it's not too long ago, so it's not like it's 1940s where where in the set is entirely different. So, so what we have there is already like still quite close to what is uh in 2007 and 2008. Like the only specific things that are I think very visible are the cars, for example, that are passing by. So we can't do anything about that, and we just let it, let it be. But for like specific production design, we have incorporated like the old school, uh, the cell phones, not the smartphones, and so, so nothing too drastic, I think, in terms of production design on making it uh, period periodically. Uh, accurate. Yeah, I was really look, taking a look. Like, oh my gosh, how are <laughs> like for and especially in the wide shots. Like, how are they doing this? Because of the uh, it it I don't know it, the time before has a specific look that I think it's I I I would even say that it's actually a bit easier to do something like in the forties because at least you can immediately separate it visually. But now it's it goes down to the details. Like, what kind of you cannot just say Nokia phones. No. What kind of Nokia is already available at the time, or TV? What kind of TV? Or it's not just flat screen, but you know, it's it's so so specific. If you don't have the time difference yet, and yeah, that film took me back. And for some reason, you know, I wasn't I wasn't in the north. I was actually from the south of Luzon, 
And at the time, I also remember, uh, I don't think I have Facebook then yet. I think I was in Multiply. Oh, <laughs> and I was reviewing films in Multiply. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Nerd, nerd. <laughs> I do want to go now to, um, in terms of filming now, because we've been talking about like how you conceptualized it and wrote it and all that jazz. Um, this film was set in Northern Philippines and... You shot in the Northern Philippines. <laughs> uh, to our listeners abroad, that's not the easiest thing because filmmaking in the Philippines is so Manila-centric. Um, why was it important for you to stick with that? And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when we were, we were pitching the film, some suggested that we bring... Uh, we bring the film closer, like shoot it in Antipolo, that's near in Manila. But I think it's very important to shoot it in Tugigarao for various reasons. Because one, uh, it's like a statement also that we can make films there. So this is actually the first film shot entirely in Tugigarao. So hey. yes, so that means. There are artists there, and we can make something. We can make a film there, uh, as simple as that sounds. Like we have actors, we have uh, we have a crew there. So the talent is. It's a statement that there is talent there, that just needs to be tapped. There. So the second, I think, is. Some of the details in the film are very uh, specific to the geography, like, uh, for example, the solid North mentality mm-hmm. or response to our past dictators. So geographically wise, uh, geography wise, it's very close to where one of our past dictators uh, lived. So some of the people that are living there, like my parents, for example, are still, uh, what do you call it? They're still supporters of the or the past dictators. So and it 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 also it also happens to our present dictator. So like the mentality for the older people just stays there. <laughs> So it's important, it's important also for the youth of that area to watch this film. Just to know that, just to make them not afraid, uh, can be supportive of their, of their ideas, right? Um, well, as um, recent news has shown, um, Filipino Americans are supporting Trump, so we really have a type. <laughs> our <laughs> Filipinos really have a certain type of leader. Um, anyway, the, uh, quick question: um, Has this film already screened in Tugigarao? Ah uh, no, actually no. Uh, oh no! <laughs> <for> the pandemic, <laughs> we're supposed to screen there, like days before or actually weeks before. Uh, 
besides quite near when the lockdown happened. I was supposed to already scream there, but didn't happen. Hopefully someday still after all this. All this COVID. shit has <laughs> gone down. Um, I do want to, I do want just also mention, um, we were, you were supposed to have a screening in the UP Film Institute on March 13. Um, I was supposed <laughs> to go there and oh. that would have been my first time to watch mm. the film in full in, in its final version. Um, and also I haven't seen our friends in months. Uh, so it was like, it was like going to be a big thing, like, you know, meeting friends, um, watching a film that, you know, um, I humbly lent my efforts <laughs> in translating <laughs> and uh, bringing someone, but that person ghosted me. Anyway, um, anyway, but yeah, we had the lockdown on March 12. So again, it was um, sad, but anyway, we, I'm so glad that uh, at least the organizers, which we we by the way we came from the same same film organization in our in our college. Yes. <laughs> Bringing that up halfway through our conversation, okay. um, so yeah, they were really um, gracious about it in handling uh, the postponement. I'm not I'm not gonna say cancellation. I'm just gonna say postponement because I believe we are still gonna screen this. Um, hopefully, yes, uh, hopefully. yes. But the theater experience is very different online. Yeah, especially so yeah. fully yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially when the screener is buffering. Oh my gosh! Like, oh no 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 no. <laughs> and that's not just a Filipino case. I mean, of course, our internet is bad, but I've heard like, um, some of um film critics that are because in the United States they're doing all of their film festivals virtually, and they have screeners, and they also experience like buffering problems. And I'm like, uh oh, it's not just a Filipino problem. Anyway, um. Yeah, I I am so um fully in support of what you said about finding just it's about finding the talent and taking the risk because I think it it goes historically it's not just confined in the film industry but the Manila centric the imperial Manila thinking has really uh, affected the media that we are producing, um the media the film and the TV series that we are watching that are coming from the Philippines are mostly from the perspective of the greater Manila area, which really harms conversations because I think that in turn, for example, when you have characters from the North or from the South coming into Manila stories, they are being othered. So we are not fully getting their experience. So I am happy to hear that. You had that. You you took the. You, it's not even a risk. It's just you took the chance and the opportunity to tell a story there and just really find the talent there. Um, one interesting thing also in the many interesting things of this film is that you, aside from a very few um, uh, experienced actors, almost all of your actors are first-time actors. I'm not going to say non-actors. I'm not going to say non-professional. I'm just going to say they're first-time actors because it can be the start of something new and something great. Um, what, what was the... Uh, was it... What were the discussions in terms of casting? Um, of finding not only first-time actors, but first-time actors from that province? Mm. So yeah, there was no question that were all of 
most of our actors are will be coming from Ligarao. So that was a non-negotiable, <laughs> especially the high schoolers, because they're they're the ones who can speak the language more fluently, more nuanced way. They can bring the humor best from that area. And, you know, and for the, we have actually two theater actors. Actually, uh, before we opted to have <laughs> our exports, <laughs> right? We have, uh, we have our, uh, we have actors or personalities or celebrities from Trigarao. And I wanted to get them for this film. So our most famous ones are Mystica and the Let's go. PBA player, Romel Adukul. So I really wanted to <laughs> I really wanted to get them, but uh, we we weren't successful. So we opted to have uh, theater actors or independent actors since they can also impart some knowledge to the to the kids in in the film and uh, the actors we got are very smart i'm so proud of them they're very smart they they know how to they know how to act basically there's no question about it they they can be at par with our with our actors here yeah, so how many roles did you cast uh, from Tugigaw? So we have like eight main actors, and then like five supporting roles. So that was all uh, we did for our casting call. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and how was the casting call in Tugigaw? How was the reception that you got? was very fun it's my actually my first uh audition my first casting call <laughs> it's very fun like some of our some of the cast that we uh that came from that casting call are so memorable like they're <laughs> they're so crazy <laughs> some of them we got because they're just crazy and we know they can <laughs> we don't really care about acting too much but how we think they are very appropriate in terms of humor like that or their stature we didn't really care too much about their acting prowess but we, some of them we just find very funny and they had this natural humor and their stature, for example, fits the role perfectly. So we got them. Some of them are actually applying for interns as interns. And, uh, but they fit, act a bit and that's how they got the role, some of them. <laughs> yeah, that's the magic of casting. And um, I... I... I just want to say that I, I've been a casting director once, even if they didn't want to credit me as casting director. 
and I I really did casting for a film, and um, it's it's magical when you find the casting calls and you see people, and it's like it's like painting, and here are people coming in, um, lending their. This is my color. If can you can you find me in your painting? Sometimes it's it's magical and it's thrilling. But of course, you had different process for films. Um, how was the dynamic on set given that the majority of your actors are first-time actors? So the, the dynamic on set is not like a professional one <laughs> because you're shooting with friends, uh, with, with film school friends. So bringing in first-time actors, most of the crew are also first-time film crew. So it's like a give and take relationship. Wherein, of course, we had to act more stern, more professional because we have a schedule to follow. We have budget to stick to. So we have, of course, we have to be more professional. But you know, at the end of the day, we're just playing around. So the dynamics not too strict at all. The only one strict is the producer. And the uh, production manager, <laughs> which is Noni. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're oh, yeah. the ones who had to be strict. <laughs> but all else were just playing around. I can ask how many days did you shoot in Tugagagao? So we had to stay in there to cut costs. So we had to shoot, or we had to finish the entire production in two weeks. So we have 10 shooting days. And for like break days, rest days. Aside from those two weeks, did you go to Tugero be- beforehand? Uh, yeah, we did a location hunt once, I think. And then we had a an acting workshop. So we had to return for that too. And actually after the, the, the shoot itself, I had to return just by myself to shoot additional scenes. Yeah, so I was shooting additional scenes on my own. there are so many stories of course in that shoot but I'm gonna go now to what happened after in the post-production um, so this aspect of your film has been the, the talking points of so many articles already beforehand um, how all right so can you tell our listeners how what what happened <laughs> in the post-production with the style of the film with regards to the visual style of the film so the final look of the film is all the frames are photocopied and all the main characters in the film are colored with highlighters. So that's the main look of the film. So the way we did that is 
uh, we shot the film digitally first. And after editing and after the pick lock, we exported all the frames in the film into a digital file. So in that digital file, we can then print them all on paper. So when we printed them, we found a shop in UP where in the printed one already looks like a photocopied uh, paper. So, so there. So after printing all of the frames in the film, we then highlighted uh, uh, all the characters manually by highlighters. Then after doing that, we then scan it. After doing that, we also, the same shop in University of the Philippines, the same shop, they have a batch scanner machine. So that uh, cut our time. So all of the frames were, man were scanned to have a digital file back again. So all those digital files were then assembled into this film. And how many frames are we talking about here? <laughs> so we don't know the exact number, but it's around 30,000 frames, I think. We did eight frames per second. So that's 30,000 frames. We have four crates, big crates, all with paper inside. And with six small boxes, also with paper inside. Were there uh, backup yeah. copies <laughs> or like one chance <laughs> to color this? Uh, that's the magic as well of the film. So we don't have backup. Actually, we did. The ones that are so badly highlighted, we had to reprint them <laughs> and we colored them. Uh -huh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. Of course, I think it's important to ask, like, why did you, why did you choose this visual style? But I'm gonna add to that. Um, when did that visual style come in? Uh, was it since the writing, since you were conceptualizing it, or was it some a decision after, some later? Uh, the visual style of the film came in simultaneously as I was writing it, so. Uh, the way I thought, uh, the way I uh, came about this visual style is a product. It came from different ideas uh, that I wanted to do in a film later on. So, like I wanted also the uh, the film "Loving Vincent" is an inspiration. Where you know, I was very fascinated by the painting strokes in the film. I, I didn't care too much about the story anymore, but how the frames, but I really saw how how handmade it felt and it's something I wanted to emulate. Also, I wanted to shoot a film. I, I mean, like uh, the celluloid film. It's a dream of mine to shoot in celluloid, but we can't do that now because uh, we don't have 
a Hollywood budget, for example, and we don't have the machines anymore here in the Philippines. So I think this is something close to that, I guess. Uh, there. So uh, my girlfriend during the time was also doing a short film, and it involves uh, coloring a character. So that's something I borrowed also from her. So since it's also a high school film, I also thought of why not uh, doing the film form uh, like very close to what the materials in high school is. So that's why I chose also photocopy and highlighters. Yeah, I also wanted to make at the start, I wanted to make it look like a high school project. So before I intended to put like one inch pencil borders on the film. So like there. So I had many ideas for the look of the film. So there's, it's also like a, uh, it pays tribute to a time where social media is not that yet. Uh, dominant i guess and it's also a uh, statement for our mainstream cinema so it's it goes counter to what mainstream cinema is like we all have this glossy super crisp super crisp films that i that already looks uh too non-personal for me, I guess. So that's one of the aims of the film. And also, it's also something that I think it's very, it's something that uh, interests me or excites me to do personally. So, there. so it's something that's never been really done before too much. And that uncertainty excites me. So there is a lot of reasons. There's also one that is economic. So, so doing this film makes it a lot cheaper. Like, like it's a, my first feature film, so I have to make it look good. So since we can't afford a Ari Alexa, for example, so what are my alternatives? So that is doing this visual style is an alternative uh, that I am comfortable with, I am happy with, but makes makes the feature film makes my feature film interesting as well. Were there hesitations on anyone involved about this visual strategy that you were gonna use? Yes, especially my producers because. We're, walk, we're working on a film festival uh, setup, meaning we're given the grant, we're given a film grant uh, in the same year that we have to show it. So we have to do all of these things inside a inside around ten months, I think. So doing this visual style is very labor intensive for example and it will take time so it's something but ultimately they they pursued it as well 
they give it a go signal. Yeah. Um. For our listeners in other countries, that's that's a thing here in the Philippines. We have film festivals that don't only um, exhibit films, but they select films to fund and give them money and uh, create them in uh, within a year, less than a year, and then exhibit them in the same year. Um, I'm just gonna give them like a, a grant for some sorts. Um, I. I don't I, do you remember because I think when you asked me to do the subtitles of the film how long before it had the premiere do you remember uh, how long was it in between was it a week or less than a week almost within a month I think yeah it's premiere it's very fast paced <laughs> um, it's really really fast you have to organize it very strictly so it gets done. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to say on the record that you gave me like the best experience, no, best working experience that I had <laughs> in working in a film here in the really? Philippines. Um, Like sensible wow. timetable, paying on time, paying on time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've, I've had countless times where I had to ask for my, my salary for months. And um, that's why I treasure this film, aside from being a part of the something special. Profession is like, oh, it, it can be done, you know, to be professional and to treat co-workers as human beings. But, you know, it's a whole other topic on the conditions that we have here. Um, there's this one thing that was interesting. Um, did, you had the Spark Project, right? The, the crowdfunding to help support the funding of the film, to add to the budget because you have so much more needs um, beyond the production and all that uh, jazz. Um, and you were also working on a, t- on a, a very strict timetable because uh, the film festival is coming near and you also have the funding. Did you personally feel the time pressure um, in both ways, creatively and logistically? And was there ever a time where your vision is going to be compromised for the sake of, well, you know, this is probably the easier way to do it or something like that. What, or, or was ever, was time pressure and like financial constraints uh, or financial concerns ever affect your, especially in the post-production? Yeah, so it's uh it's a worry every day, like from day one. Something you always think about, like will the film be finished or will I be will I have this huge debt after this film? So <laughs> so it's it's like a it's an everyday anxiety attack making this film. And we really we really had made some compromises in this film like especially in post-production like uh, I wanted to make some scenes in the film uh, the papers in the the paper of the some frames in the film should have been crumpled like the paper should have been crumpled like 
it adds to the materiality of the film, I guess. That's something I really wanted to do before, but we didn't have the time anymore to pursue that. There. So that's one of the many compromises that we had to make for this film. But it turned out fine, yes. Uh, it turned out really well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to, just as someone who has also seen your shorts, it's so interesting to see that you always play with form. Um, like you've had short films that were, for example, um, Maybe Aliens was completely shot in st- static drone. And you have... I don't know what's the translation of nangungupahan uh, in English. Renting. Renting. And that, that's not the title. Let's just go with nangungupahan. And nangungupahan is almost like a, a collage of shots. And you just always play with form. And you, I also see it here in Cleaners. Um, is that intentional for you to always do something formally? Or does it just come naturally just realize oh i am playing with the form i did not notice it uh i really don't know <laughs> maybe because i'm the youngest in the family like i have to constantly be different from my uh brothers that are achievers <laughs> since i'm the black sheep but, uh, i i just want to be you know different <laughs> and Doing, playing with form is is a manifestation of that, I guess. And it's just something ultimately it's something that excites me to, to make something new, make something different. That uh, it's it's also something that I want to see personally if I'm looking for a film. Like I, I really like Michelle Gondry's music videos. Uh, that's one of my main inspirations. They really play with, or they just really play, play around. Yeah. And it's one reason. Another maybe is it's very economical to play with form. Like for example, my short film is. My short film, Maybe Aliens, the one with the drone, the drone film, it's made for only 10,000 pesos. That's maybe around like 200 US dollars. Maybe. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> to convert. Maybe <laughs> like form has economic benefits. It makes, makes the film a lot cheaper than the usual films that we see around. So it's also a big reason. Tell me about it. <laughs> it's really expensive, but it's... Oh my goodness. Um, I do remember uh, in when, when, when we were still in college, uh, you're always calling me Hollywood. <laughs> huh? <laughs> you're always calling me Hollywood or Oscars because of... I think my or I think like you said my orientations in terms of what I watch. I think watching films that have won awards, there is this like storytelling that was formed in my mind 
And I think that still follows me to this day. But yeah, it it's reflective of the stories that we how we tell stories anyway. Um, not bad. It's not in a bad way. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. Like it. Then you like it. Right. <laughs> Glenn, it excites Glenn. me. Didn't feel it that way before. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not invalidating your child. Me, child. Because they are also. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also just want to ask, did you have a specific, of course, playing with form, but did you have a specific film reference in terms of the look? Uh, you always you already mentioned Loving Vincent, and I think you already mentioned um, a, a Trip to the Moon by Georges Méliès uh, in other interviews about the, the style of the film. Are there any other films that you know were in your mind or were around when you were... Um, thinking of the visual style of the film because for me for example when i first saw you your film i thought juno oh the open the obb oh i haven't seen i don't remember you haven't seen juno i have seen juno but i don't remember that <laughs> yeah yeah the obb is uh they they did the same thing that that because i think it's like um ellen page walking but she's in an animated environment but what they did is that they filmed her walking in a treadmill and then they t- took um, frames of that. I-, I don't know how many frames per second. And then, then they photocopied it and photocopied it until it looked like she was a photocopy. <laughs> because because she was shot well. <laughs> shot well. But yeah, did you have any other films that like kind of influenced you or like were your references in making cleaners in terms of visual style? In terms of visual style, there's this short film. Actually, I have a uh, a folder of bookmarks. I don't know if it's still here. Of all the pegs I have, I think one of them, uh, one one specific one is uh, copy shop. So in copy shop, all the frames are also photocopied. And they did it very interestingly because they really show the... It's like really photocopying the frames. It's really... It's, uh, it's one of the best short films I've seen. It's on YouTube. And there's also in Vimeo, there's this short entitled Supervising... The supervision of female workers. Yeah, the the end scene where it gets crazy. I got it from here. Also, balcony in Binyo. The shouting scene. <laughs> yeah, some of the the eggs I have are in terms of tone. Like for Shinobu Yaguchi, the uh, one who made Water Boys and Swing Girls. I've also seen high school films from the Philippines, like Isai, Senior Year. Yeah. I've watched all of those for this film. What's your. What's, what's the most. What's the most unusual or like weirdest visual reference that you have? Like it's not a film or maybe it's a random photograph or maybe it's an 
you know, just random. It feels random, but it's. Did you have any any anything like that? Oh, uh, we have. I have a picture. Um, with I have a picture with my two close classmates with my high school. And yeah, that's that's one. It's it's a very iconic picture for me. Like really encapsulates my high school experience. We're we're on this building on this rooftop in the, in a building and there's a rainbow and there's there's a unfinished building at the back. Yeah, so it's uh I don't know, but it that picture resonates with me and I wanted to capture the energy in that in that picture in the film. I before we go into more of the reception to the film, I wanna ask because you like like I've said a while ago, um in the process of promoting the film, you really advocated for uh, regional cinema and how it should be uh, present in our discourse, it's in especially in media. Um, we've seen in festivals, you know, in the film festivals that we've had here in the Philippines, like one or two films set in in other provinces. But um, how do how do you think could it be more sustainable? Because I think. The fact remains that most of the filmmaking machinery or industry in general, even the fundings, are mostly located or held by people in Imperial Manila. So, how do you think um, regional cinema could be more sustainable, or how could it uh, be improved even? I think the easiest is uh, I think government support. That's really the key. Like. If we have we have re, uh, actual uh, theater spaces for regional cinema or like just even independent cinemas like mandated theater spaces screening screening times allotted for that are catered and that are catered to our films instead of merely uh putting in what sells if you have mandated laws that are that cater to to regional cinema of course it will thrive because uh if more people could see them uh the more you can produce in the regions for example because the crew gets paid better uh, more people will get into the film because it's more sustainable so there so one of the main problems is distribution, I guess. And if we uh, a lot actual uh, time and spaces for these films, of course it will thrive. Yeah, I think. I definitely agree that. Yeah, um, like hopefully you know it would not be filmmakers based in Manila coming to Tagigarao. Uh, but you know, people from Tugigarao, like you, in your case, you're from there. Tugigarao filmmakers cultivating their its own um film culture, and yeah, that's definitely the goal. Um, to our listen to our listeners from other countries, just to give a um an idea of what's going on. The Philippines has more than one hundred sixty languages, 
And we, as of 2020, we have 7,641 islands. 2,000 of those are habitable. I don't know how many islands have we have left <laughs> since all of what's happening in the world right now. Uh, but that's how hard it is. Like geographically speaking, we're literally separated from one another. And we are just talking about like one island because Cagayan, Tokyo City in Cagayan is still part of the island where Manila is. And we're already having um, difficulties. Like, you know, in your case, you're, you're a trailblazer to shoot a film there. What more in other in other islands where, you know, it's really hard, geographically speaking, even. And geographically means economically, means financially, means politically. It's... Um, the Philippines is a very complicated place to be in. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do want to ask them. Also, you were kind of going with a while ago about the the place of independent films in the Philippines. Um, what is the hardest thing that independent films, Filipino independent films face? And what is the struggles? What are the struggles of not just independent cinema, but our local cinema now, COVID era? So what I found out is cinema is really controlled by our distributors, <laughs> our theater distributors. And I, like, we really did dictate what goes in there. So in the Philippines, most of our cinemas are from malls. So we have we don't have a theater culture in we have uh, independent theaters, big theaters. We only have micro cinemas. So most of theatrical distribution is controlled by these big malls. And uh, these malls kill these independent cinemas because uh, for example, Avengers Week, we have like seven cinemas, for example, all of them are full of, of Avengers. And so that's what I was talking about earlier. We don't have space anymore for our local films. As compared to like what they have in Korea, I think, we're in, they're really at a lot uh, specific theaters that are Korean made. So here in the Philippines, uh, we are dominated by Hollywood one. And uh, the next big piece of that pie is dominated by the conglomerates. I think that we have big studio houses that has the that have the machinery to market their films on television, for example. Means under that is independent cinema, independent films. Under that is the original cinema. Under that are the short films. So it's really, it's really frustrating to know that uh, we don't have uh, proper laws that are that should cater to to. Uh, films that just uh, are not made just to sell. Yeah. yeah. 
I agree. The hierarchy of films in the Philippines are so clear. <laughs> um, and that makes it hard for independent cinema to break in because of the setup that I just said. Like We see films that did so well in their festival run. And then when they go to the malls, for example, they have the 12 o'clock screening. They would even fight for the 2 p.m. screening because they're already being pulled out in a 2 p.m. screening. Um, we do not have a very solid uh, film culture here, like you said. Um, in other countries, I, 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 oh my gosh, I would really love to have like, you know, chain of mall, not chain of, ugh, a chain of cinemas that you know really can balance business and uh, art. And um, I am currently playing a, f a game on my phone that is uh, about uh, you running a chain of cinemas. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that's become my dream this pandemic to to have my own like like uh, cinema tech. But um, yeah, that that's the struggle. Um, that's why um, in the Philippines, you can be a long time independent filmmaker and still not have a sustainable career because of those pre-existing conditions and it's really hard and you thought that having politicians that are in the from the entertainment industry would help the benefit will help the cause but no 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 um and how about now in covid uh, what do you think is the struggle of um local cinema now because for example ppp ha now has its um virtual version that you have that you uh cleaners is part of this year but yeah we've had struggles before what are the additional struggles now so one we don't have theaters most are still closed aside from those drive-in <laughs> cinema do you only have one drive and i don't know <laughs> Take only one. <laughs> one drive in the Philippines, yeah. one hundred million people. It's amazing. <laughs> and our micro cinemas are also closing. So one of our supposed outlets are the micro cinemas are also closing. So all we have right now is virtual to digital space, which is also very hard to screen online because it's so easy to pirate films online. So we all have apprehensions about joining <laughs> online festivals, but we don't have a choice. So. And technically speaking, we have one of the slowest internets in yeah. Asia, so streaming is hard. Um, I was supposed to watch Cleaners on a Monday. I watched it on a Tuesday because Monday we had bad internet. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just, just the streaming part is difficult. Um, actually, in the time of recording this episode, we've had several interruptions no? while recording this episode. That's how, that's how yeah. bad this internet connection <laughs> is in our country. Um, but yeah, we try to um, make, make the best of the options that we have and hopefully, hopefully we get back on some semblance of normalcy and because this pandemic like in other countries as well has affected art in so many ways um and i think cleaners is a kind of a film where it would really benefit from um 
several screenings because then you build a word of mouth. So physical presence and physical interactions and physical conversations would be vital. But here we are in this environment place. Um, <laughs> now I want to turn into something more positive because um, one year after uh, you premiered in Q Cinema where you won the Best Picture Award, yes, I, I saw the awards night while I was in my job. I cannot attend because I was in my job. I cannot oh. attend the premiere because I was in my job, but I was watching it on the Facebook Live and I was uh, teary-eyed when I saw you all rejoicing because like, your win is a win for us all. Um, and now you're also um, uh, bringing this to South Korea, to Taiwan. Um, what has changed one year after and now in the COVID world? What has changed? Has anything changed on how you talk about this film or your attitude towards the film? And yeah. And what are the discussions you're having now? Um, maybe you've had feedback from South Korea. Uh, not much have changed. <laughs> like this, this pandemic's like it's just like a a big black hole. Like we're just uh, we're like teleporting from <laughs> no. March to October. <laughs> we're still in the hole. Not much different, but yes. But for us, it's, it's really sad because we've waited for this year. Like, this could be the year. This could be our festival year. Like, we, <laughs> we really wanted to, to... Because when you're in, fe in festivals, one of the perks is you get to be out of the country. And being in the country right now is so frustrating and depressing and <laughs> I feel you, you can't be out there right now. So, so it's one of them. <laughs> so like my stand in the film actually just stays the same but the way I'm supposed to experience the other side of of that is that's what's different I guess. Yeah, and also one thing for our listeners here in the Philippines, we have like like what um, Glenn said, there is such a divide between independent and mainstream that usually the path that independent films follow is that they get produced here, they would screen in other countries for film festivals. When they win, they go to the news. That's the only time they land uh, a theatrical run here. That's. That's how tough it is in terms of um, breaking it because of the structures that we have. But um, but yeah, even then, you're still having a good 2020. Is it? Does it feel? What? How does it feel to have like have this good run so far of cleaners in a in a in a shit year <laughs> that we're having right now? It's like a a dessert after a a very bad meal <laughs> you know you still enjoy it but like you, you can't fully enjoy it <laughs> there i would have loved to see you see you guys from the film be on festivals abroad and make us proud because really um it's a proud moment um we've had you know throughout the years we've had our filmmakers 
and uh, since the 70s and even the, even in the 50s 60s 50s 70s and now uh, we've had the you know filmmakers being rewarded abroad once in a while but what do you think is is the place of philippines now in terms of world cinema like where are we That, that's a big question, I know, but uh, and you just in your own assessment, like where are we as a film industry or film culture? Mm, I think we're not. Uh, I think we're in a time wherein we can uh, maximize our potential. Like we can really be great. We have this. Uh, we have a lot of great filmmakers. But not all of those filmmakers are doing their best films, or in their the best films in the way they want. So I guess we're not we're not Korea yet. We're in they already have blockbusters, like for example, or we're not India. We're in, they have their own industry. We're not France. You have that are. We have this rich, very rich tradition of we have like a cinema of 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 resistance, I guess in a, in a way, like we're all just uh, still fighting for something. We're not on the on the threshold of doing what we should do. I what we want yet. We're we're on a space where we're only doing what we need to do, like what is what is need what is needed by the country. Then, but we're not on a space where we're doing what we want. Like, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I I I really felt what you said of like not reaching our maximum potential. Like you said, we have a lot of. Uh, terrific filmmakers in all aspects, um, and not just filmmakers not being able to make the best version of their stories, but great filmmakers not getting the chance to even like make a film. Um, it's it's really tough here. It's 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 disheartening to be honest. Like like a, a film graduate myself, like oh throw that dream away and you know just to be honest like i'm looking at a group of friends and each and every one of us is a great film inside of us but those films are not getting made because of how freaking um insupportive or um it it's this is what our experience is not really nurturing us nurturing filmmakers to where they can feel that they are being prioritized or being supported. Um, it's sad because, you know, um, in so many countries, they already have their movements for representation. But here, like in our own country, we are struggling to even like get our stories told. Um, just a quick mention, like um, the colorist of this film... Uh, Carla Manalo was already a guest in this podcast for the 2002 episode where we discussed Nowhere in Africa. So, yay, Carla. Woo! And there will be more um, people from this film that will appear in this podcast. I promise. <laughs> like, I think 
two more <laughs> two more for the season just stick with that um of course this is a podcast that um is about you know the best international feature film best foreign language film category at the oscars cleaners i'm not exaggerating it's probably one of the best if not the the best reviewed the most well reviewed film of 2019 in our country as you see in several like end of decade lists like cleaners is really up there um you've really had a great showing so far in our local awards and technically speaking cleaners would be qualified to be submitted to the international feature film category at the academy awards which i am so pushing hence this episode um it, for you personally what what would it mean if cleaners would be our submission for this year because as of the time of recording we still haven't made a submission contrary to what wikipedia says we still haven't made a submission so what would mean what would it mean to you what do you think would it mean to um to the people involved or to regional cinema or like in ge- what would it mean maybe if it gets nominated maybe it helps in a way like can help me make my next things just for the credibility but you know i hate to break it to you <laughs> but being nominated for the oscars it's not um i don't care too much about it because like uh, the oscars for me is just another market like film festivals are markets for example for films to be distributed more and get bought more or you know and it's i think it's so hard to win an oscars because you have to have a very huge marketing machinery like what parasite has or what previous previous winners had and you know it's not it's it does not it doesn't justify the it does not really say if it's a good film so there so i the so yeah the oscars for me is still very problematic uh in terms of being a filipino for example why why should i bow down to something a to an award giving body from another country like that why would i care parang i should care more if my film gets accessed by more filipinos i drag I'd rather have that than be nominated for the Oscars. I'd rather be shown than be nominated, I guess. And you know, it's like it's like a it's just another award-giving body, but it's bigger. It's Hollywood. You know, <laughs> it's like what's what. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, this podcast has discussed like how certain films won, but you know, just um, 
Just for me, I, I would love to see the recognition, maybe because of what it could possibly mean to not, not to us, like even like economically speaking, like that's what that's why a lot of people like really want the Oscars. I honestly, I think that helps their film get made <laughs> if they get nominated or get a recognition. But um, yeah, there you go. I remember what Bong Joon Ho said, like. Oscars is just a local film festival. <laughs> Why would I care? Kind of like that. Yeah, but yeah. he had a great night. Parang, <laughs> it's not an international film festival where like all the best films from around the world gets to battle with that. Still a local film festival with a side foreign film festival. Yeah. <laughs> And it has a very specific perspective, which is, you know, where the awards is based. Uh, yeah. Um, however, I'm going to ask you one final question. Uh, if, because we've been submitting since 1956 and we've never been nominated. Uh, we've, we've submitted uh, when there were only eight submissions <laughs> and we still did not get nominated. Um, as of the time of recording, we already have 21 submissions in other countries. Um, and that's the thing, like, for example, in this podcast, um, it's like most probably, whether we like it or not, the film that won the Oscar is probably their gateway to the cinema of that country for example i mean the same way that probably a lot of people's first experience with mexican cinema is roma or pan's labyrinth both were nominated at the oscars um so it's like a gateway already for uh, for english for americans. Audience, let's put it that way for americans um, if yeah if If there's only one Filipino film that would win the Oscar and would be serving as the gateway of world of other of audiences from other countries as their way into our cinema, what film would it be? Maybe I'll say, you know, Babangong Bangongot by Kidlat Tahimik. Perfumed Nightmare, yes. 1977. Yeah, So that's very telling of Filipino culture. That's true. That's true. Uh, Filipinos for Trump? Yes. <laughs> you think you're white? Yes. <laughs> um, and that's our discussion about cleaners. Uh, thank you so much, Glenn, for having spending the last hour, few hours with me discussing this film and discussing things beyond as well thank you so much for giving your time and can you tell again our listeners where can they find you and your work okay uh, you can find me at glennbari.wordpress.com all my details 
all there, including all my social media accounts. My portfolio is also there. Thank you for having me, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I know you don't care much about the Oscars, but really, fingers freaking crossed, we submit cleaners. That's me personally. Um, you can find this pod, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ohano. You can find this podcast at Wanish Barry on Twitter. This podcast is everywhere. Uh, this podcast, this episode will be also on Patreon and, you know, more exciting stuff aside from the regular episodes that we're having. Again, I wish you all well. This is a goodbye for now. Um, and together, let us break the one-inch barrier. <laughs>